righty, welcome to it. It is another brand new episode. Episode, what is this, 63 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live 63. We're about to pile a shitload more than 63 on with the upcoming season. I can't wait. Um, and we're going to be going to a, a, an increased schedule as well. More details on that coming up next week. But let me tell you about Bet Parks because, oh man, you had Thursday Night Football last night. Yeah, the Bills and the Rams and the Bills took it minus one in the game, but took it uh, easily. You got a full slate of college football this weekend. You got a full slate of pro football this weekend. That's already kicked off. You've got baseball winding down. You've got hockey around the corner, hoops around the corner, and it's a great time to get Bet Parks app because it's easy to use, simple to use, faster to win than ever before. You can bet same-game parlays, live in-game betting, player performances, exact score, first to score, you name it. It is all there on the Bet Parks app. This is actually a good time to get in some last-minute futures on football for the season. Uh, it's also a good time to check out the futures for hoops and hockey and tons more. And also a good time to look at some of the futures in Major League Baseball for the playoffs and the series. So check it out. Check out the Bet Parks app. It is awesome. It is the greatest time of year. Gambling is like sports gambling is going to go through the roof now because there's so much more going on than just baseball. Not to mention tennis, golf, uh, Formula One, and so much more. Check out the Bet Parks app today. You do need to be over 21, present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and use the promo code JASON750 and get a $750 risk-free bet just by using that promo code for new and existing users, terms and conditions do apply. Let's go north of the border and bring them in right now from Montreal in Quebec. It is Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period. What's up, Ant? What's going on, buddy? I'm recording like a pilgrim today. I'm in the yeah. process of moving. All my stuff is packed away. So, yeah, doing it on the phone. Yeah, you're on. The, you're boxing it up all uh, and going to the new place, which is great. Um, but we actually have some interesting things to talk about because – you know, when Torch was hired this summer, um, you know, Torch is very blunt. And one of the one of the points that he made repeatedly in his media availabilities and some one-on-one, certainly made it in the one-on-one with me, was the room and getting the room right. I think he, the term he used with me was fractured. Splintered. Room, yeah, splintered, fractured room um, in regards to how it's been here in Philadelphia. Now, Claude Giroux was the captain for a long period of time. He's moved on, obviously. He's now a member of the Ottawa Senators. But Torch was on with uh, Boomer on NHL Network Radio. I guess it was uh, the Flyers team preview that he was doing. And here's what Torch had to say in regard. Well, let me take that off there. There we go. Here's what, <laughs> here's what Torch had to say in regards to the Flyers locker room, Boomer's question. Claude Giroux is not there. Uh, it was his team for a decade. He had a little stopover in Florida. Now he's in Ottawa. What are your thoughts on the evolution of the room post-leader like that? And uh, is it important in your mind at any point that the Flyers name a new captain? Uh, let's go with the latter question. I, I am in no right to name a captain. Um, so that's that. And as far as the room... Um, I have major concerns about the room as far as I've spent the, the summer going back and forth. I live in New York and I go back and forth to Philly trying to relocate there, but spent some time in the office talking to players, talking to personnel, uh, talking to Chuck, all, all the front office. And I have major concerns about uh, what goes on in there. And um, 
before we even step on the ice, uh, situations and standards and accountability in the room uh, is is forefront. And uh, you can't get squat down on the ice until you get your room straightened out. And I think we have a little bit of work to do there. All right, so you can't get squat done until you get your room straightened out. Now, the thing I find a little, you know, look, I think there's work to be done in the room. I totally agree with Torts. But it's odd to me, Ant, that he's been so vocal about something that he hasn't experienced and he's just heard about secondhand. This, to me, yeah. is him drawing a line in the sand and finding a calling card right away. Well, like, it tells me, and you could speak to this better than me because you've been so intimately involved in the team for so many years, that during the hiring process, this was probably a big talking point and something that was very important to Flyers management. And look, how many times has Danny Briere over the last several months, even in his uh, interview with the NHL Network at the draft, where he talked about, you know, they got to get that culture back, that Flyers culture, and... I think that the biggest thing about bringing Torson was weeding out who the problem children are. And, you know, he had a bit of a quote about um, Ivan Provorov. We know that, you know, Provorov over the last year or so has been questionable in terms of his attitude. You now see a new leadership group kind of coming in, although we don't know who that leadership group is going to be. But I, all it tells me is that he's probably spoken to some players and he's heard from management, Chuck, Brent, Danny, whoever else, that there are problems in that room and there is a lack of accountability. And we know that since the 2020 bubble in, uh, in Toronto, that it has been not a good scene behind the scenes that led to AV getting fired, that led to not a huge turnaround under Mike Yo. And you know what? I, I don't think that this is some big like revelation. I think we knew this is what was a big problem. I think it's more just how impactful it was to hear the head coach say this on national network radio. Yeah, and he hasn't shied away from it at all. And, you know, Torch is going to find some things right away that he's going to preach and that he's going to demand. And he needs, right out of the gate, something to catch their attention, right? And yeah. this this is what he's going with. And, look, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, on Monday's Flyers Daily, I guess it was Tuesday because we were off Monday for Labor Day, but with Bill Meltzer, I said to Bill, really the episode was about this. It was about two words this season is not about wins and losses and you go well pro sports is always about wins and losses but to me this season is more about two other words not wins and losses culture and standard and i, I listened to that and, and torch must have listened to the episode because he used the word standard quite a bit <laughs> <laughs> a standard of play you know and a standard of the way you conduct yourself a standard of preparedness and culture and regaining a culture that's well-defined and very entrenched and is a religion. And, you know, to me, that's the job number one for torts is to get those culture and standard things in order before he can get wins and losses. Cause wins and losses also all, you know, very often are a byproduct of culture and standard. And he said it that like, they can't worry about getting wins and success on the ice until they fix what's going on in the room. And that's why, like, if you rewind back to free agency, and let's say they had signed Johnny Gaudreau, and let's say they had, let's say, added a centerman for the 3C, let's just, for example, say Dylan Strom, which a lot of people wanted. Those are good on-ice uh, moves. Those are good on-paper acquisitions. 
But if you still have problem children in the room, it's all going to be for naught. And you're going to be just kind of compounding an issue, kind of like what we saw last year. Like they went with they made some, you know, culture changes uh, in terms of, let's say, the Jake Borchek move, moving on from a long standing defenseman, Shane Goss's beer. But they were just kind of trying to add talent. And while I think they did add talent and the, the roster was better on paper, injuries kind of derailed that plan it's clear that there is an issue in the room. And let's say, let's take Ivan Provorov, for example. I'm obviously a big fan of Ivan Provorov on the ice, and I think he can be a number one defenseman. And I like that defensive group on paper. But let's just say for, just to, for argument's sake, he turns out to be a problem child, and you cannot move forward with Ivan Provorov. Well, then this isn't a defense that's set to win now. And in turn, it wouldn't have made sense to add talent. So this is why I understand. And look, I think that we've talked about this at nauseum, where the messaging wasn't right. I think they kind of stepped over each other's words. I think they, were, they pedaled back at the 11th hour. But this is why I think that ultimately kind of having a, what was the word that uh, Chuck used? A stabilization year? Yeah, year of stabilization. That's why I think that ultimately, although the road to get here was very, very windy and tipsy and turvy and bumpy along the way, I think the ultimate destination was the right one. Because at the end of the day, you can't be adding big time talent and handing out multi-million dollar contracts when there are so much concerns about the room. Yeah. And because you're right, you want to spend that <clears throat> spend that money strategically. But if Ivan Provorov is a guy that doesn't fit in culturally and standard wise. Now we know he he's a guy that answers the bell. Like he's only missed a couple of games because of asymptomatic COVID. And he was pissed that he missed games, right? He's a warrior. He answers the bell every time he plays hard. He plays a lot of minutes. He takes his, you know, role as a professional player, extremely serious. I mean, he trains as much as anybody. He's as physically fit as anybody, all those things. But sometimes personality fits into it. Is he a personality that fits maybe is the question to the, the culture and standard that they want moving forward. And if you if he's not, then you have to allocate your dollar differently because now all of a sudden a top pairing defenseman is a guy that has to go. Exactly. But obviously, that's just a hypothetical. I don't know if that's the case or will be the case. But, you know, based on his comments at the press conference at the end of last year where he was very salty, you know, those questions are legit. So uh, the year of stabilization, I agree with you. It was a long and winding road to get there. The old Beatles song. <laughs> and, and I think they ended up in the right spot. It pissed a lot of fans off along the way because you get, you know, just the notion of grabbing a certain player. Sometimes you feel like you lost something, even though you never had it. And that's a tough yeah. feeling for a fan base that's been through it the last two years. And, and you know, you kind of were beating this drum that you were going to have this aggressive retool. And we heard the rumors about Johnny Gaudreau. We know that they like Johnny Gaudreau. I can tell you that with certainty. They strongly considered a lot of avenues how to get him here. But I think that even you had said this, that the idea of getting Johnny Gaudreau was so tantalizing that it kind of warped the vision, and myself included, of how the Flyers were going to perform on a macro scale. Because yeah. let's say you add Johnny Gaudreau to this roster. You found a way to ship out JVR. You, you add Johnny Gaudreau, and they're a better team. But let's say there are problems in that room where 
let's just use Provorov as an as a hypothetical where Provorov has to go. Let's say Travis Konechny's beyond re, um, you know reparation here. He has to go, and now all of a sudden you're without a number one defenseman. You're without a top six winger, and now how much farther are you back from hypothetically? being a cup contending team, which is like a move that let's say handing out that type of contract theoretically would be reserved for. So like, I think that next year, which I believe is a better free agent crop personally. And I think that next year you're better set up to, you know, go through an entire year, figure out who's going to be here for the long term, and then have a better idea of where you're going to have to allocate that money. Is Provorov a guy that can be counted on for the long term here? Can Konechny be salvaged in Philadelphia? These are questions that, in my opinion, need to be answered before you start handing out big-time contracts. Couple that with a draft class next year that is superior, is going to be one of those draft class that's been compared to some of the great ones. You know, the 03 draft and, and, you know, tremendous high-end talent in the first round. Couple that also... Travis Sanheim is entering the final year of a deal up against UFA status. You got to figure all this stuff out before you really plot your future as a franchise. And the thing that Torts is saying that you really got to figure out is the culture and standard first and foremost, because without you can have talent, but without culture and standard, none of it matters because you're not a winning team because you don't have a winning culture and a winning standard. So I, I agree. I think the timeline and where they ended up is the right place. But, yeah, I mean, we know yeah they liked Gaudreau. Gaudreau liked them, you know. Big time. <laughs> Big time. You, you know, it's weird because I talked to JVR on, I think it was Wednesday. He's in today's Flyers Daily as my guest. And I've, I've known James since he came into the league in 09, right, in his rookie year. And he's a guy that when he first came in was kind of an interview where he just got really nothing. But now, now he's a very cerebral guy. He's been in the league, what, like 13 years or whatever. He's played almost 900 games. And I asked him straight up. I said, dude, you've, you've been, you've been around this a long time. It, this isn't new to you. Your name was out there. You know, it was out there as a guy that was going to be shipped off. How did you deal with it over the summer? And he said, well, first of all, cause it was over the summer. It's a little easier cause you're not in the day to day grind of, media and all that but and you want to compartmentalize it and control what you can control and train and get ready but he said he totally understood it because they're a team that you know was way out of the playoffs and when you're way out of the playoffs there's going to be changes and when you're a high-paid player you could be part of that change he totally got it i thought he handled it well well like look at the last 12 months Voracek, a high-paid player was shipped off at the yeah. time the second highest paid forward on the team Giroux was shipped off, you know, Goss's beer who had a decent paycheck was shipped off. And look for James Van Reems, like, I mean, he's become a very polarizing player on this team, probably second behind Rosmus Ristolainen. And it isn't always fair, the criticisms that come against JVR, because he is a guy that is a slam dunk for typically 20 goals. He can give you decent minutes in your middle six, I thought last year was like the first season where like his underlying numbers kind of suffered and his overall game just wasn't up to par. But I mean, who did have a good season last year? They were few and far between on the Flyers. But I think JVR at the end of the day is just a solid professional. If I'm not mistaken, is he or was he their player rep for for the Players Union? Still is, yeah. yeah. He still is. And it's your PA rep. 
so he's a consummate professional and I would expect nothing else. But like, look, I, I was told by a Western conference general manager a few months ago when I brought up JVR, he just chuckled and said, yeah, nobody's touching that guy. And that's a guy who's like slam dunk for 20 goals. But at the same time, that's not a slight on JVR because a guy who's a slam dunk for 35 goals and sometimes 40 and Max Pacioretty was traded for nothing and actually yeah. had to be packaged with a young defenseman. So, I mean, I don't think what happened with JVR was a slight on the player. I just think it was more a testament to the times right now and how there is just absolutely no money around the league. And JVR was kind of just a, um, a byproduct of that or a victim of that rather. And, you know, I think what you're seeing now is a lot of players in the middle are being squeezed more and more. And you're seeing less and less of those three to five to six million dollar contracts. And it's all the guys eating it up at the top. And JVR is the type of player who at this point in his career is a middle six guy, third line player, depending on what team he is. And there's just not a lot of teams with a with an appetite or the cap space to pay that guy seven million dollars. And yeah, I mean, the thing like James is not one of those guys that is a distraction or the way he prepares. I mean, he's one of the most open minded preparers and the way he has engaged sports science and the way he prepares his body, his mind and everything. So uh, I just got a note from a guy that uh, Philly original says JVR is no longer the Flyers player rep. He passed that torch on to Sanheim. So it's Travis okay. Sanheim is now, who, by the way, I talked to this week as well. And talking to Sandy, you know, he, he's going into this UFA year. And he talked about, you, you and I have talked about this quite a bit on the pod, off the pod, and on social media about that, you know, chemistry with Rasmus Ristolainen. And he talked about it, that playing with Risto really helped him be able to do what he did last year. So that chemistry is there and he's looking to recapture that again this year. Um, But, you know, it's an interesting year for Sanheim because pending where the team is depends on what he does and where he goes. And if he's traded at the deadline for assets on an expiring deal or he ends up resigning here. So there's a lot of questions, question marks here. There's so many questions, you know, coming into this season. I don't recall you know, a list of pertinent, consequential questions like we're going to have going into this season uh, at any time that in my time covering the Flyers, which has been a long time, that, you know, there's just such an extended list of these questions that need to be answered. And you can't just, you know, give an answer now. It takes time to, to find the answer. Well, like going back to the Holmgren years and probably even before then, but I only really started following hockey like religiously in the Holmgren years. You've always been able to kind of like mock up a depth chart, save for maybe a spot or two. But yeah. this season, like you can make the case that like five out of the six spots in the bottom six are up for grabs. You know, maybe the defense is more set in stone, but like even Cam York, he like I think he's going to make the team, but maybe he has some more challenge from a guy like Zabula. Maybe Ronnie Adderd really pushes a guy like Justin Braun. And look, some questions are good, like what young players are going to push through. Some questions are more negative, like, you know, how is, let's say, Tony D'Angelo and Ivan Provorov going to fit together? Like that could easily go sideways. I'm more on the positive side, but it could. Or how's the goaltending going to look? A lot of people are more negative on that side. And I do think the long-term outlook for the defense is a huge question mark because I just look at it financially and, you know, 
Ryan Ellis, we know he's not going to start the season. I was told that there's no timeline for him to even come back. No one has like a set approximate date. So right now he's not even a factor. But he's I been just week to week since last November. Do you remember when AV said if it were playoffs, he would be playing? Do you remember yeah. that? Mm-hmm. What a crock of you know what that was. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, even Ryan Ellis or no Ryan Ellis, I can't see a world where this time next year we're sitting here and talking about Ivan Provov and Travis Anheim on the same team. My opinion. Yeah. yeah. I think that's and, unlikely too. And, you know, I think as of today, Right today, I think Travis Sanheim is probably a $6 million defenseman in the NHL. I look at the Tory Crew contract that he got with the St. Louis Blues, what was it, two years ago? And mm-hmm. I say that's kind of like the bar. Let's say you go a bit longer with years. I can't. I don't know if Crew got six or seven, but if you go, went eight years, let's say eight times six for Sanheim. But if he plays the way he's played the last 18 months, more specifically last year, would it be far-fetched to see him even going to six and a half, six point seven five? Now you're in Ivan Provorov money. And I mean, I think that that's going to be the biggest question mark because let's say even Provorov does play very well this year, but Sanheim plays very well too. And York plays very well. I don't think York's going anywhere, but let's say Sanheim and Provorov do both play the way that they've played. Let's say Sanheim last season and Provorov gets his game back to 2019-20. At that point, Jay, like, where are you more leaning with it? Yeah, I mean, if York plays really well, is he a top-pairing left-side guy, or That's is he the- more allocated to be a second-pairing? Now I have two second-pairing guys in York and Sanheim. One's on the UFA contract. One's on, you know, his rookie deal. And, you know, the cap's going to go up, but it's not going up yet, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it ain't going to go up $12 million year to year. You know, the ceiling's no. not going to escalate like that. So um, yeah, there's a lot of questions about it. You know, how do you fit? That, that's the thing for a general manager. You you have this puzzle you're putting together. And sometimes we look at it as fans as a two-dimensional puzzle, but it's not. It's like 6D. <laughs> you, you know, it's you got to figure out what's coming. How does it fit going forward? not just next year, but five years down the road. Yeah. Because, you know, having Cam York and just, if you have Provorov and Sanheim and just say he's absolutely going to stay on the left side, you know, it, it, did you draft him where you drafted him and develop him the way he's developed to be a third-pairing defenseman? I don't think so. And and you look at what they have coming up the pike, specifically yep. on the left side. You have Emil Andre, who was a standout at the NHL, uh, at the uh, World Junior Hockey Championship. No, great. I still... I think he's two years away. He's going to spend the year over in Sweden. I think they'll bring him over next season. He'll spend a full year in the AHL. You have Adam Ginning, who's coming over to the AHL. I don't think he has an enormously high ceiling, but I spoke to some with the Flyers, and he said that, you know, Robert Hag is something that's probably attainable for him. You have Igor Zamula, who I think that if he can just put on some muscle mass and, like, get his body physically mature enough to play in the NHL, his mind and his skill set is already there. And what do you know? These are all left shot defensemen. And like, sure, maybe one of the guys can, you know, convert over to the right side. Maybe Ginning's that guy. We saw Hag play the majority of his time in Philadelphia on the right side. But after that, like how many guys are you going to force over? I think Rista Linen's here for the long term. I think one of D'Angelo and Ryan Ellis will be here for the long term. And like you said, your next question is, is Cam York going to be a top pairing defenseman? Because I love the way Sandheim's played. 
I think he's been excellent the last 18 months, but I still don't want him in a top pairing role personally. No, he to me, he's a really good second pairing left side defender. Yeah. And he's I think you're just asking the guy to do too much. And for the way it's not only, you know, just you know, the skill set, whatever, the pedigree, but to me it's what you want to get out of him. And you want to get that offensive rush play out of him. And to do that on a second pairing is is more ideal in his situation, I think. And the other thing is, is that your number one or top pairing defenseman, typically you want them to be all situations. And that's what kind of Provorov yeah. is. And Sanheim, he's an amazing um, five-on-five defenseman. I think among second pairing D, you could probably put him in the elite class. Like there's not many second pairing defensemen I'd want in the NHL more than Sanheim. But he's never been a strong special teams guy. Like, okay, yeah. the power play, I guess we haven't seen a big enough sample size, but he's had how many coaches now? Hackstall, Gordon, AV, yo, none of them put him on the power play for a sustained amount of time. And he's not a strong PK guy. So I just think, and you've said this so many times, is that you've found a situation where you've unlocked Sanheim, and I would just be very hesitant from def- to defer from that road. Yeah, and put him in a, in a different situation that could re-lock him in a lot of ways. Exactly. Uh, the, the role he's in, I think, is the ideal role as a second-pairing left-side guy. And why fuck with that when yeah. you don't have to? And you know, get what you can from him at both ends of the ice. I mean, that second-pairing played a lot of minutes last year. Sometimes they played more minutes in the top pair, including Sam sure. playing more than Proveroff at times, which was – a bit of an eye opener when we when we saw that on a number of occasions last year. So five uh, on five specifically. Oh yeah, big time. And you're right. He's he's not you know a PK guy. He's not a power play guy. He's he's a five on five defender. He'll play a little bit of PK, but um, you know Pro Ross in all situations guy. Although I don't prefer him on the power play. Same, same. I I agree. I I think Provorov. I would like to see him as a trigger man on the power play because I do think his shot is excellent. Yeah. And in 19... 19- yeah, PP2, exactly. And, like, yeah. I remember in 1920 when he had... What was it? Was that the year he had 18 goals and he, like, led the NHL in power play goals from defensemen or something? Yeah, I think he had 17 goals that year, I thought. But, yeah, right around there. And he wasn't creating a lot. Like, if you look at the underlying numbers, he wasn't generating a lot in terms of, let's say, expected goals for on the power play. But his finishing was, like, elite, like a 99 percentile. So, I mean, maybe that's something you could maybe try and tap into. Yeah, he had 17 goals in 17-18. Oh, wow. Yeah, 17 goals that year. And uh, only two of the goals came on the power play. 15 even strength goals. But the insane. next year, he had seven uh, all all even strength, and then six even strength goals. The year after that, where he had thirteen goals on the power play. That year, he had seven power play goals in nineteen twenty. Seven power play goals. That's pretty That's incredible. Yeah, yeah, I mean, more power play goals seven than he did even strength at six. I mean, that's pretty. That's pretty darn good. And and that was, mind you, that was in sixty nine games that year. That was the shortened season. He finished with thirty six points. He was probably pacing to have his best season, points wise and goal wise, in the NHL. Oh well, that year, like as a transition defenseman, he was borderline elite. Like, and yeah. his finishing was very good. Niskanen, but, 
Yeah, I, I think that year he was on a trajectory to be a top 10 defenseman in the NHL. Yeah. That year. 150 shots on goal that year, 8.7 per game in the 19, or 17-18 season. Uh, he had 203 shots on goal for an average of 8.4 when he had the uh, 17 goals and 24 assists. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's certainly an element of it. I could see him on PP2 with a Cam York out there as well. Yeah, you know, a lot of times on PP one, it's one defenseman that'll be D'Angelo, right? And then PP two, if Ryan Ellis isn't in the lineup as we expect, I imagine it's going to be Cam York, Ivan Provorov, and then your second power play unit up front. To be honest, like I know that they've had a refusal to do this, but I would like to see Ristolainen because he's had success on the power play in Buffalo. He's got a and... bomb, man, a bomb for a shot. And not to mention that he's actually a good four checker. Like mm -hmm. the few times that he would not lead the rush, but he would be the first one in, let's say when the forwards were on a line change or something. But yeah, like he, he has a bomb of a shot. He's had how many 40 point seasons that came because of his time on the power play. But I'm I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I understand that last year they were really trying to make the Sanheim Ristolainen pair their five on five pair. But I'm wondering now that you have like a legit, I would say, top pair, I would say, Provov D'Angelo, and that third pair, that because you're essentially subbing out Sealer and Yandel for York and Justin Braun. What and that? it's an amazing upgrade, and your top <laughs> pair now isn't a complete... Like, I think last year their top pair was probably like bottom five in the NHL because Justin Braun just should not be anywhere near top pair. Yeah. And now you could say it's more in the middle of the road their second pair is very good, and I think their third pair has the potential to be very good. So I think that it's going to allow for Bradshaw to really kind of mix and match here and kind of allocate the time on ice much better and uh, subsequently get more out of each guy. And I think the pairs just fit better together because you have a puck mover or a guy on, uh, on every pairing that can exit the zone very effectively. Cam York yep. is a very good passer, and Sandheim's a guy – Decent passer, but good at using his legs to skate his way yeah. out of trouble. Very, yeah. Long, you know, a guy like that. Not a really physical big guy, but um, – and then obviously on the top pair, D'Angelo is a good passer as well. Provorov's a good retrieval guy. So th there's a lot of elements there, I think. Yeah. Defense could be a lot better, and the byproduct of that also could be, you know, if the team defense is there and in-zone, D-zone defense and structures there – then all of a sudden the goaltenders look a lot better too. And I mean, that, that obviously goes to heart, but the other part of that is going to be Sandstrom. And cause I think he's going to end up being the backup and we'll see about yeah. that. There's that's a, that's one of those question marks for me going into the season is Felix Sandstrom, small sample size. I've liked what I've seen, but the sample size at the NHL level is still so small. It, it's tough, but like, look, I'm one of the guys that I wanted them to bring back. I wanted them to run with Felix Sandstrom or Ivan Fedotov. And obviously Fedotov was a guy that had much more upside based on what he has done in Russia the last few years. But I didn't want another Martin Jones or Yarrow Halak or Thomas Grice. I wanted to see what you had with one of these guys. And look, small sample size last year, but... Even Sandstrom's like expected goal, uh, expected save percentage, all that, or save, goal saved above expected, whatever the metrics called, were strong and yeah. a very small sample size. But I think you have something with this guy that, like, even if he's not great, 
how much worse is he going to be than Martin Jones? How much worse is he going to be than Brian Elliott? I think that even at that, you're going to have an improval in the goaltending. And I think you have a guy, maybe not for Jones because he was more or less durable, but because Sandstrom is a young guy, I think he's going to be more durable that if he has to string together some games because we know Hart has battled some injuries, I think you're better suited for. I, I don't know. You're, you're way more, um, I guess, uh, knowledgeable about the goaltending position than me, but I'm very excited to see what Sandstrom could bring this year. Well, and to me, in really thinking about it, it fits into everything else. It fits into the year of stabilization. Yeah. The, it's, it's about finding out what guys are and, because he has this small look, everybody has a small sample size at some point, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. and you got and you got to take a little bit of a flyer sometimes, pardon the pun, and go. You know, I got to find out what this guy is. There's only one way to find out what a guy is. That's to fucking play. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you don't find out what he is in practice. I mean, you, you know what he is in practice. You know what he is as a pro and his preparation and his work ethic and all those things. Like I talked to Dilly about him, Flyers goalie coach Kim Dillaball. I mean, they drafted him in 2015. I mean, they obviously know him very well. And been around a, for a while. Yeah. So, I mean, they've worked with him obviously quite a bit. So um, I, I think it's a huge question mark coming into the season. But when you look at the congruent aspect of what this season is now, and we're going right back to where we started, is the year of stabilization and year of finding out and culture and standard, then it makes sense, I guess, to do that. I was a guy going, yeah, I'd like to come into the year with a little bit more, you know, pedigree. And I love a veteran guy behind a young guy. Hart's still young, but he has played a lot in the NHL already. So he's maybe not as young as his birth certificate in NHL terms would, you know, indicate. Uh, for sure. And look, if the Flyers were a cop team, obviously we're worlds away from that at the moment. But like, would I be comfortable with this? No. I would have said, like, I want a guy like James Reimer, like that kind of guy behind mm-hmm. you, or an Auntie Ranta, that type of, you know, backup. I think that, like you said, traditionally, that's the best way to do it. Or what we're seeing in New York this year, Shesterkin with Yarrow Halak. That's yeah. the way that I, the, the traditional type of goaltending tandem that we've seen. But there are just so many guys here that you have to find out what they are. Like, look, Going back to 2017, we have been, me personally, Dan on Brotherly Pod, we've been wanting to see a 3C since the trade of Braden Shen. But now I'm at a point where I'm just like, well, because you're not really trying to win right now, is there a point to bring in a Dylan Strom? Would you just be better off to see what Lazinski has, what Frost has, but next year at this time, what Denoyer has? Because you're not really trying to win at this point, you might as well just see what some of these centermen have. Yeah, it's this is a, a huge inventory project to find out who who's for real for the NHL, for the pro game, and who's not. And then if you don't have that piece, then you can make the decision to go out after a, a Dylan Strom type 3C player that can help you if, you, if it's not in-house. If it's in-house, it's great because it's not going to cost you as much for as one of these young guys on an ELC. So that's a big part of it, too. And we still are essentially in this flat cap world. And that's just part of the equation. Yeah. So, No, that's right. exactly it. All right. Let's get out of here on that note. That, that, that was a punchy episode. We covered a <laughs> lot. Started with torts. Uh, let's see. We have a comment here. Let's see if it's worth putting up on the screen. And Steve, of course it is. Steve says, Evinger, great show again, Jason. Thank you, Steve. You're oh. 
great listener. What a dick. He didn't even recognize that I was here. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he knows you're there. Um, but uh, that'll put a wrap on it. That's episode 63. And get moved into the new place, all right? Good luck with the move and everything. Appreciate we'll it. next week from the new uh, domicile. Thanks, man. It's going to be a hell of a view. I'll give you that. <laughs> all right. Everybody, read Anthony's stuff at uh, uh, thefourthperiod.com, TFP, and also on Twitter at ADemarco25. Thanks, brother. Thanks, buddy. Take it easy. There he is, Anthony DeMarco, on episode 63 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Oh, man, a lot to cover there. It's uh, ready to pop off. All of it's ready to happen here uh, for this season. Um, rookie camp starts on Wednesday. Rookie games next weekend. Full training camp on the 21st on the ice, I think on the 22nd, which is two weeks from yesterday. So it's... I mean, first preseason game is 15 days away, the 24th. So we're right there. Um, so a lot to get to and tons to get to here on Stick to Hockey Live. And as I said, we'll be expanding our coverage this season even further. And uh, we'll get out to all the details on that coming up next week on next week's episode. But that'll put a wrap on this one. But get the Bet Parks app because you can get your action in and all the uh, hockey stuff that's coming, futures. And then once the games start, you know, same game parlays, live in-game betting, player performances, you name it, it's all there. Props, teasers, parlays, all alternate lines. Uh, you can do that on all the football action coming up this weekend, both in pro and college. Oh, man, it is all going on. How about the end of the baseball season and right into the, the MLB playoffs? You can get all your action there as well. And all those same things. Same game parlays, player performances, uh, live in-game betting. It's all available for you. So check it out. Check out the Bet Parks app. Easy to use, easy to navigate, faster to win. Than ever before. Make sure you punch in that code Jason750, J A S O N 750. That's going to give you a $750 risk free bet. Now that's for new and existing users. So again, Jason750, punch that promo code in. You'll get that $715 get, uh, $15 risk free bet. And uh, terms and conditions do apply. So check it out. Get the Bet Parks app. You do need to be over 21 in, present, in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Beautiful weather outside. A little chillier. We're on our way, people. On our way. Thanks for watching. Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. We will talk to everybody next week as uh, rookie camp will be underway. That and much more. Have a great weekend, everybody. The more of you that I inspect. The more of me I see reflect. The more I try to read your lips, the more the